be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. When was the last time that you uh, said those words to a brother or sister in the Lord? Maybe to your own soul. When did you actually say that to someone? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a phrase that is, is part of your normal, everyday vocabulary. Uh, but I would commend it to you. For your soul's encouragement, for the encouragement of others, that, that might be a phrase that you'd want to say to someone. We don't want to slap a, a Bible verse, you know, on someone in a really awful time of misery and pain. But I think we do want to encourage. When God has spoken words for our encouragement, uh, we want to encourage others with the very words that God has given for our encouragement. And I think this is a wonderful word of encouragement. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Uh, That's the phrase, as, as Victor said, that's the Statement there in verse 10 of Ephesians 6 that we want to spend some time thinking about together this morning. We're starting a new uh, series of sermons today in which we will be studying this entire paragraph that Victor read, and we're going to be doing so uh, quite slowly. Lord willing, we'll take 11 weeks this fall to consider those 11 verses. Uh, Now, that's not our our regular practice. Uh, We have As we've gone through books of the Bible, we have covered entire books of the Bible, books of the Bible much longer actually than Ephesians in less time than 11 weeks. Uh, But it seemed to me that it might be a good thing for us, good thing for you personally, good thing for our life together as a church if we would take an extended period of time to consider this passage. There's a few reasons for that. I won't get into all the reasons why, but... I think we are growing more and more mindful, at least from my conversations with you. I think we are growing more mindful uh, that evil forces seem to be around us and seem to be prevailing in certain ways around us as we look around at our culture or at our nation. Uh, And the Bible teaches us that as God's people, we have an enemy. He's referred to there in verse 11 as the devil. We have an enemy, a strong enemy, a a vicious and malicious enemy, a predatory enemy. And he has allied with him a great multitude of evil powers on his side. We're told there in verse 12 of authorities and cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil. And they are seeking to do harm to us. And I I think, I, I don't want to speak for all of you, but I think that for many of us, much of the time, I don't know that we're even thinking about that. We may live completely oblivious to that. And even when it does come to our attention, I think there's a great deal of confusion 
and misunderstanding about this subject that is sometimes referred to as spiritual warfare. So it's my hope that this series of messages, that as we just take a slow, concentrated time to think carefully about this paragraph of Scripture, uh, that the Lord would do good in your soul and in the life of our church together as we would consider this congregational call to war that we have in Ephesians chapter 6. So uh, we're starting, again, just in verse 10. That's all I intend to talk about this morning. And I want us to consider from the passage, from verse 10, the, uh, the recipients of the command, the finality of the command, and the command itself. Now, we'll, we'll be quite brief on the first two, the recipients. That's just really set up in background and context. I do want you to have that before you. So we'll think briefly about the recipients to the command and the, uh, the, the finality of the command. And then we'll spend some more time thinking about what is, I believe, the main point of the verse, which is the command itself to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Who are the recipients of this commandment. Well, it's somewhat straightforward, but again, I think it's important to just have this bit of context before you. It's, of course, written to the Ephesians. We're, we're reading this letter. We're jumping in at the very end of the letter to the Ephesians. But if your Bible's open, just peer back to the very beginning of the letter. We see that in the first verse of Ephesians, this letter is addressed to the saints who are in Ephesus. I don't want that word saint to confuse you. The word saint in the Bible is not used as a way of talking about a special category of really holy people who are believers, but it's a way of talking about believers, those who have been made holy through their union with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. So to speak to the saints is another way of saying he's writing to the Christians who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so this letter as a whole, as well as this portion of the letter that we're going to be studying, Lord willing, in the weeks to come, it's not written to an individual believer, but it's written to the saints. It is written to Christians, to God's people, plural. We can see that in the paragraph that we're looking at in verse 12, where Paul says, we do not wrestle. Not just you as an individual Christian, though it is true. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. This letter to the Ephesians, maybe more than any other of Paul's letters, it highlights the glory of God's wisdom prevailing in the church. Uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 10, he says that through the church, God's manifold wisdom is being revealed even to those rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so that's why I titled this series, The Church's Call to War. And again, I don't want to dwell long on it here, but I, I do think that's important for us to hold in view as we get started. As we read through, as we study this passage together, we do not want to envision just a whole bunch of little individuals running around in armor. We want to envision the body of Christ standing together with each other in battle against our spiritual enemies. We each do our part. So it's not as if this call, uh, you know, is irrelevant to you individually. It is very relevant. It is very significant. But each of us individually are to do our part 
collectively together as one body. This spiritual war is not just about you and your relationship to God. It's about the brothers and sisters around you who are engaged in battle with you. I was meeting uh, earlier, well, this past week, uh, with our deacons. Uh, what, uh, and I, we don't pray for them enough, and we don't mention them publicly all the time, but we have a great group of men who serve this church as deacons. And, and uh, yes, I got an amen there from somebody. Uh, we have a great group of men. And we were, we were, talk, we were meeting this past Thursday night, and, and one of the men just made this point, of, uh, at which a point, actually, I think that I had made the last time I preached from John 17. He was talking about how vulnerable we are, how susceptible we are in these days to threats to our unity. And how there's so much talk, whether it's about COVID or whether it's about politics or all kinds of things that can tear and fracture Christians apart. And we need to be constantly vigilant about that. We need to be constantly praying. That's what this brother was encouraging us to make sure that we were prayerful for the unity of our church. Because it is fragile. And I think it's really important. This this corporate vision of spiritual warfare will help us to be all the more eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That spiritual warfare we're engaged in is waged against the forces that would divide and break our fellowship with Christ and with one another. We stand together against the evil one and his forces of wickedness and to shine light into darkness as we live out Paul's exhortation, as he says in chapter 4, to be kind to one another and tender-hearted and forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And that leads us to that second brief observation that I wanted to make about the finality of this command. You see there in chapter 6, verse 10, the word finally. And and the simple point that I want to make sure that you are clear on, just as I want you to be clear that this call to war is a congregational call to war, I want you to be clear also on the fact that as as many commentators on the book of Ephesians have pointed out, this passage here uh, in chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, is not the introduction of a new topic. This passage is really a summary, a drawing together of everything that Paul has already been saying throughout the letter. He's putting an exclamation point on it in a provocative and attention-getting way. So if if you read through the book of Ephesians this week, and I would commend that you do, a wonderful timing, in, in two, and I will be sending out some information to you this week on the upcoming Sunday school classes, but as we would be starting Sunday school in two weeks, we're going to be having one of the classes is going to be a study of the book of Ephesians. And so this is a great time to just immerse yourself in the book of Ephesians as that class would be starting. But if you were to just read through the whole letter to the Ephesians this week sometime, it'd only take you 15 or 20 minutes to do that. And what you would see is that this letter as a whole establishes some truths that are evident here in this particular passage at the end of chapter 6, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, that God is powerful and that he is merciful, that there are spiritual forces of evil that are active in the world and to be opposed, Uh, that we live in difficult times which call for alertness and vigilance because the days are evil and dark. You'll see those themes as you read through the whole letter. If you read the whole letter, uh, you will see the specific language employed in this armor of God passage. You'll see that kind of language emphasized 
throughout the letter. You'll, you'll hear calls to uh, put on, put on uh, spiritual clothing. You'll hear uh, language about the devil's schemes, deceitful schemes, and uh, darkness, and the heavenly realms, and the day of evil, and truth, and righteousness, and the gospel, and peace, and faith, and salvation. So it's important that we understand that the, the ethical instruction, all the teaching that there is in the book of Ephesians, these aren't just moral prescriptions for living wisely or for being a good citizen or even for being a faithful church member. These, all the instruction in the book of Ephesians are essential elements in this larger struggle between uh, the forces of good and evil. And I think that's really important for us to understand so that we're not mistaken about this reality of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, by and large, is not some mystical hocus-pocus by which we engage in exorcisms in some sort of Hollywood-like thriller movie. No, spiritual warfare in the book of Ephesians means finding strength to live a life of faith and humility, and love, and goodness, and courage, and wisdom in the ordinary callings of, of life, in the church, in marriage, in our parenting, in our workplace, in our culture. I mean, why do you think, why do you think confessing sin is so hard sometimes? Why do you think it is so challenging at times to be patient why are you so hesitant to evangelize, to speak the gospel to someone? Why is forgiveness so daunting? Why is prayer so often marred by distraction? Why is holding your tongue so exhausting? Why does giving thanks in all circumstances feel impossible? It's because, brothers and sisters, there are enemies to our soul that are continually working against what our Lord is working for in us. And so in light of that, in light of these great spiritual forces of wickedness that are seeking to hinder us from walking in the way of our Lord Jesus, this promise of divine enablement and empowerment as we engage in the battle is sweet music to our ears. I hope it's sweet music in your ears. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Or as it says in another translation, just give you a couple different translations as we're only talking about a few words in scripture here. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible puts it this way. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Or the New International Version uh, says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The However you translate the words particularly, the emphasis and the accent is clear that this power of God is just that. It's the power of God. It is not your power. Psalm 73 says, Our heart and flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Uh, amen indeed. Praise God that Paul's concluding exhortation is not the exhortation that is so prevalent in our culture these days, which is find strength in yourself. 
As if that's all we had. Our own inner strength, if that's all we had to live in this world, if it was all within the reach of our own personal resources, what miserable failures we would be. Oh, Martin Luther had it exactly right in the hymn. I believe we're singing this hymn next Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. Oh, how pitiful. How foolish we would show ourselves to be if we were to rely on ourselves in this spiritual battle. We'd be like those sons of Sceva that Paul, or, uh, that Paul came across and that we hear referred to in Acts chapter 19. Do you know this story about the sons of Sceva? Like, I'm actually asking you a question right now. Like, have you, have you read this story before? Okay, some of you have. Kids, this is a particularly, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a funny story the way it's told. So this may be, I would, not act, I would not encourage you to act it out because of one particular detail that we're told at the end of the story, but this is kind of a funny story. When Paul was ministering initially in Ephesus, when he was helping the church to be planted there, we're told that the Lord was doing extraordinary things by Paul so that people were, were bringing even handkerchiefs and aprons that would touch his skin and they would carry them back to the sick and their diseases were leaving them and evil spirits were coming out of people. And so there was some, it says in Acts 19, there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists who undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And they were saying, I adjure you or I command you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So these were some people, they didn't believe in Jesus themselves, but they saw the power of Jesus to do some mighty works. So they just said to the evil spirits, I command you in the name of the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And we're told in Acts 19 that seven sons of a Jewish high priest uh, named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And it says the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And that's why you should not go act it out later in the day because that would be really weird. But you see, that, that's a picture. That is a picture of, of man's sufficiency and man's strength in doing battle against the devil and his evil forces. And it's, I think it is actually intended to be mildly humorous in the way that story is recounted in Acts chapter 19. But it's really not a funny reality because trusting and relying upon ourselves is an act of spiritual pride that is devastating and destructive. And the Bible is full of examples to warn us, to chasten us about this. So I, I was reading, uh, or I was listening, I, I heard a sermon a couple of weeks ago on, the, on um, a king, one of Israel's kings named Uzziah. And he's, his story is told in a couple different places, but in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we're told of how the Lord helped him. We're told in, in uh, 2 Chronicles 26, his, his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God. What a sober warning that is. And I thought it's pertinent to just include here because I think when we envision spiritual warfare, it's when things are hard. It's when we're experiencing particular affliction that we feel like the devil is on us and harassing us. 
But I think that prosperity, it was when he was strong and when his fame had spread. That's when he grew proud to his destruction. Do not think when things are smooth and comfortable, oh, everything is great. The devil is not on me at all. That may be when he is most upon you. Uh, There there was a Puritan by the name of uh, Thomas Brooks. He wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And he said in that book, adversity has slain her thousand, but prosperity her ten thousand. Is be careful. We can praise God for our prosperity. We can, as Paul said in Philippians 4, we can be content in our abundance. We can give God praise, but beware that your prosperity not lead you in the way of pride to the destruction of your soul. Another story, another, another warning that we get is from King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar's story? In, in, it's told in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, we're told that King Nebuchadnezzar, he looked around at the great palace and all the, the works uh, that he had been blessed to rule over. And he said, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And we're told there in Daniel 4 that while the words were still in his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, the kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And so it happened. So was God's judgment upon this proud king who exulted and boasted in his own mighty strength. These stories are written down, and there are so many. We could talk about Pharaoh. We could talk about King Asa. There are so many stories, so many warnings of the danger of pride and stubborn rebellion against God. These these stories are given as examples for us that we may not think that we are standing and then end up falling. The pride of self-reliance and of self-sufficiency is not just a problem of mighty kings and presidents and world rulers. It is a human problem. And so I would ask you to just consider a couple of questions this morning that I believe the Lord would pose to you through his apostle, through the apostle Paul in second, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Would you just consider these two questions? What do you have that you did not receive. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Any boasting in your soul? Any pride? Did you take a paycheck home this week? Did you just fall down on your knees and praise God for giving you life and breath so that you could go about work, that he gave you a sane and sober mind so that you didn't get fired from your job, but that he's provided for you? Did you praise him for that? Or did you think, well, no, I I got, I did it. You can't get up without him because he gives to you breath. Maybe we have, I think we could do this with our health. Maybe you had a COVID exposure and you didn't get sick. Or maybe you got COVID. And it was very mild. And you thought, well, you know, I take care of myself. I exercise. I know the right vitamins. As if we don't just bow down and praise God for health. Oh, there are so many ways that we can glory in things that are not ours to glory in. 
Kids, throughout your life, a lot of people are going to try to have you find your strength in things other than God. As you live your life, kids, there's going to be a lot of people. Maybe some of them will be your teachers at school, and, and maybe they, those teachers care for you a lot. But there are going to be people who tell you that what's, what's most important about you is where you go to school, or, or how much money you make, or what job you have, or how you feel about yourself. But that, kids, I want you to understand, that's not God's way of making his people strong. The way that we're made strong is not what we have, or what we do, or what we know, unless it is that thing that we have and that we know is the Lord himself. And if you have him, you have everything that you need. So when we look away from him to ourselves as the source of our strength, it brings down his furious and his perfectly righteous anger. God's word says in Jeremiah 17, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Oh, I, Isaiah says that the Lord will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and he will lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. And so consider the almighty power of God. You say, what, Larry, where are we in Ephesians? I thought you were talking about Ephesians 6.10. Some, someone was it? you were just thinking that down there, huh? I'm considering that this power is not in you, but it is strength in the Lord, and yet we all have far too often boasted and gloried in our own strength. And so really, the almighty power of God, which is, as Psalm 50 says, like a mighty tempest and a devouring fire, that power of God is actually because of our sin, because of our self-sufficiency and our self-reliance and our glorying in our own strength. The power of God is actually against us in our pompous pride. And so how surprising it is and how wonderful it is that the strength of the Lord that Paul could say in Ephesians 6 to these believers in Ephesus and that he could say it by application to us today, those of us who have been guilty, he could actually hold out to them this word of encouragement to be strengthened in the Lord. God, who is rightfully and justly against us in our sin, he is being held out to these believers in Ephesus. And right here in Pittman today, it's being held out that we can be strong, that his strength could be for our health and for our defense. And the only reason that could be so is because of the powerful and mighty working of God's grace to his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the verses in Ephesians chapter 2. I had to go back here. I don't think I'm going to do it every week, but I just have to remind you of who we were and what we were, we were before the mighty, powerful working of God's grace came to us. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Let me just take a break because I've been yelling. Someone's going to tell me it's two. Yeah, this is okay. You there in Ephesians 2? Remember what you were. Remember who you were. 
that this promise of divine power might be given to you. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following in the, prin the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's who you were. But God. We love those words when we find them. They're all over the Bible, right? Those two wonderful words, but God, but God, being rich in mercy. And I might, I don't want to add to the word of God because it, I'm not real, but rich in power, Rich in mercy, it says here, but rich in power because of the great love with which he loved us. Even This is how I know there's rich power involved here. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is divine power exercised on your behalf, sinners. We've been raised with him. Paul says in Colossians 2, we've been raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses, but he made you alive. He canceled the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands. He set it aside and nailed it to the cross. Jesus, the almighty one, the creator of the universe, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, Jesus came and he was crucified in weakness. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, he lives now by the power of God. And therefore that mighty resurrection power of God is not just for Christ, but it is for all of Christ's people. It is at work towards you believers. Paul prayed that the Ephesians would know this power at work toward them in chapter 1. Look at Ephesians 1.19. He's praying for the believers in Ephesus. He prays that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and above every power and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Oh, the power of Jesus is a power that outlasts and outrules every other power forever, this age and in the age to come. And it is directed towards you, for you. Oh, because of Jesus, all who come to Jesus confessing their pride, confessing their sinful self-reliance, all who come banking their hope upon Jesus. He raises them up in his almighty power to new life. He cancels the record of their debt. He clothes them with divine power and keeps them and guards them through an array of trials and tribulations for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. How can we not praise him for such a great and mighty salvation? That is what we're going to do for all eternity. You'd understand. For all eternity, we get this lovely scene in Revelation chapter 5 where, where John sees this great multitude. He says, he heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. 
That's our eternal joy. It will not be our eternal joy to say, look at me and the power that I had that got me into heaven. We will not be celebrating that. We will be celebrating the honor and glory and might of the Lord Jesus forever and ever. Oh, there is power. There is wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. And there is no power like Him taking you dead, rebellious, hostile sinner and making you alive in Christ. This is the strength of the Lord that is held out. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. If you're here this morning, if you're a guest with us today and you've not put your faith in the Lord Jesus... I wonder if you've had an attitude towards other Christians or if you've heard other people talk about Christians this way as if they're the holier-than-thou people. But you know what? I think that's pretty strange because of all people, Christians are the people who know that we are totally wrong and helpless and weak. And we need the, the sheer mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ to be in a right standing with him. I think it's actually, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, it's you who are holier than us. At least you think you are. Because you don't think you have to repent of your sin in order to be right with you. You think you're okay without the mercy of Christ. We know we're messed up. We know we're powerless. We know that in our flesh, no good thing dwells. But you are the one who boasts in thinking that you're fine, that you don't need God, that you don't need the mercy of Jesus, that that's for extreme people. So I I urge you to come to Jesus if you see your pride, if you see your self-sufficiency. His mercy is held available right now to all if you're proud and you know you're proud. If you've been trusting in man and making flesh your strength in defiance against the Lord, you can lay that pride down today in repentance. You can turn from thinking that you are strong. You can acknowledge that you are weak and you can come to Jesus and he will give himself to you as your strength and your salvation. As if you want to understand more about what that would mean to put your hope in Jesus, do do come to me after the service. Speak to someone that's around you. We'd love to help you know how to have that strength in the Lord that is found in repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus. But dearly beloved saints, For those of you that have come to know that almighty power, oh, tremble this morning. Tremble that the Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is at work in us and for us, engaging his almighty power on your behalf, tremble at that wonder. He he is the God who watches over all the affairs of men. He's the God who governs the direction of history and the trajectory of every nation. He sits in the heavens and confounds all his enemies. He cares for all his people. He controls all the elements. He upholds the entire universe by his almighty word. He is intricately involved in overseeing even the most minute details of every aspect of our lives. And for his people, he is forcing even every affliction to serve our eternal glory and good. He commands his army of angels and he sustains every one of his weary saints. He listens to every one of our prayers. God's word says he catches every one of our tears in his bottle. He strengthens all of our hearts in Christ. 
He raises his people from the grave. He calls men and women to judgment through death. He guards all of his eternally loved children by his sovereign power. He sustains their faith to never falter. He disciplines his children in love. He provides for each and every one of our needs. He receives every saint who has died and fallen asleep in the Lord to be with him and keeping them until the resurrection of their bodies. And he does all of this while never ever leaving or forsaking a single sheep. So be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You say, Larry, how do I do this? Like, how do I be strong in the Lord? Well, listen, this is sermon number one. We have 10 more weeks to talk about that. I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with armor. It has something to do with a belt of truth and a breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and on we could go. But before you get to worrying about what you're to do about this, I'm simply encouraging you, I'm simply urging you to believe that it is so. The very power that raised our Lord Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And what that means is there is no addiction that Christ's power cannot break. There is no sin that the power of Christ cannot defeat. There is no task to which you are called that his power cannot accomplish through you. There's no fruit that you are called to bear that his power cannot produce in you. No rebellious child that his power cannot restore. No broken marriage that his power cannot reconcile. No physical disease that his power cannot heal or sustain you through until you reach glory. Because our God is almighty. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The power of God delivered us from the guilt and the judgment of our sin. The power of God protects us. The power of God strengthens us. The power of God will perfect us. He has, you understand, our Lord Jesus, he's never lost the battle. Even when he lost his life, he won the victory. And he subjected the rulers and authorities to open shame. And his heart leaps with delight to see the proof of your love for him and your zeal for him in your combat against the spiritual forces of wickedness. And when you come off that battlefield and when you enter into that glory, he will receive you as joyfully as the Father received him upon his return to heaven. So... Dear Christian soldiers, I'll close with some more words from Thomas Brooks. He said, remember this, that your life is short, your duties many, your assistance great, and your reward sure. Therefore, faint not. Hold on and hold up in ways of well-doing, and heaven shall make amends for all. Love you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we pray you'd help us to believe. I, I struggle to believe it. I don't live in light of its truth. I get up here, I'm all sweaty and celebrating and yelling, and I don't, I don't act like it's true sometimes, a lot of the time. We want to live in this. We want to believe this. It's true. The power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in us. So, Father, when, when we're tempted by the devil to despair, when he tells us of the guilt within, when, when sin would lure us with its enticing and fleeting pleasures, when suffering of various kinds batters and bruises our faith on our journey towards glory, would you help us to remember who you are and what you've done for us in Christ? And would you strengthen us with your mighty power. Would you help us to know that blessedness that the psalmist speaks of? Blessed are those whose strength is in you, even as we would go through the valley of weeping. Oh, by your strength, we can make it a place of springs of, of refreshment and joy because all of our strength would be in you, Father. You give power to the faint. To him who has no might, you increase strength. We go from strength to strength in the Lord Jesus. May we reckon it to be so, Father. And would you strengthen our faith even now as we come to eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus. We pray for all of this in his name. Amen.